what's happening when we meet each other with non-judgment and compassion is we're giving each other an opportunity to heal past wounds, to look at the differences that we both share and how we can either reconcile or be more compatible or look at each other and say, okay, what are we doing that could be more effective or efficient to benefit the relationship? Hi there, I'm Kelly Tennant. Welcome to Ceremony Wellness, where we integrate modern healing and ancient wisdom. Learn from the most impactful voices in health, wellness, and spiritual development as we guide you through the latest healing remedies and alternatives to the traditional path. I'm here to support you as you break limiting patterns, embrace your wild, and let go of the noise. It's time for us to rise together. I think we all want friends that are present when we talk to them and people that really see us and are willing to ask us the hard questions. You guys, I'm always the one asking the hard questions. So surrounding myself on purpose with people that ask them right back feels pretty dang good. Today's guest is just like that. My new friend, Stefano Sifandos, is a coach on all things heart and mindfulness related. And he honestly guides you on how to show up in the world from a place of love, compassion, and authenticity. And I've learned so much from the way he honors and speaks about his partner, Christine Hassler, and his openness about struggles and the kindness in his being. And I really love his take on masculinity, sacred union, sexuality, and getting comfortable in the darkness and the unknown. And he shares a few things on this episode that he's never opened up about publicly. And quite honestly, It feels like my own private life coaching session with one of the most remarkable people that I've ever known. So find Steph at S-T-E-F-A-N-O-S-S-I-F-A-N-D-O-S on Instagram. And you can also go to reclaimyourkingdom.com and stay tuned because In a few days, Connor Moore and I join Steph and Christine for a couple's conversation on sacred partnership. And we learn about how they've reached a level of communication, respect, and connection in their relationship that is so inspiring and so rare. You do not want to miss this episode. Before we get into this incredible conversation with Steph, let's take just a second to hear from my dear friend, Carolina, who joined us earlier this year at our event gather and get her take on what it's like to walk into a space with so many incredible and inspiring women. Hi, my name is Carolina. I'm the founder and creator of Starry Crown. It's a jewelry and accessory line. Everything's one of a kind. And I'm inspired by the Divine Feminine, which makes it really perfect to be involved with Kelly's event here because I believe when women gather together, we become energetically whole and we are able to nourish each other energetically and channel the Divine Feminine with much more ease and grace. So I'm really looking forward to today to meeting all of these beautiful women, these tribal members and getting into that divine space with them. Steph, I'm not sure if you know, but I'm having an event in October. 
That's exciting. I'm Where? so excited. Tell me, tell me, tell me. So it's in LA. It's on October 5th. It's called Ceremony Wellness Live. And I'm basically getting together some of my favorite people, Connor included, out on the balcony over there. And we're going to be talking about everything, health and wellness, personal development. But it's a space where I I wanted to bring people to gather in one room. You get this idea of a podcast and you're in your car and you're listening. But we don't get to often sit in a room together and hear about these things and be inspired by doctors and thought leaders and other people that have been in similar situations as us. So I'm really excited about it. Doesn't that sound cool? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very much so. When in October? October 5th. I don't know. If, I know. I think you guys are going to be gone. Yes, I am. We're not back. I know. But it's okay. Back. You can come to the next one. Cool. That's but exciting. if anyone wants to come to this, you can go to kellytenant.com slash live and get tickets. And oh, it's going to be a really special day. Good. I'll, I'll actually uh, promote that through Thank you. my network as well. That'd be That's cool. so sweet. Thank you. Um, so I want to talk to you about the idea of sacred union. Because mm. you talk a lot about this in, in different ways. And I love the way you come at things um, from relationship and then your own personal development and being whole and then stepping into a relationship from there. So what does sacred union mean to you? I have a a number of different definitions and the the most simple one that I use and that Christine and I often, who's my fiance, we often speak about is this understanding that if we look out to the clouds and to the sky, that there is... So well, now there are some clouds, some grey clouds, not too many. The last few days here in Encinitas, so it's been quite rainy and oh, dark yeah. and so forth. I use that as a metaphor. And so the conscious relationship or those that are in sacred union really understand that there's blue sky is always there. Mm-hmm. It's never going away. And they're not reactive. They're not panicky. They don't look at the, the dark clouds and the rain and the thunder and the lightning and think that, wow, that's the end. That's it. We're going to be experiencing this all the time, mm. not at all. And so the sacred union understands that there's something bigger than the two individuals. It's the relationship itself. And w- the only way to really get to that understanding is to realize that whatever's out there is temporal. Whatever we're experiencing, it's temporary. Mm. It's not permanent. And so to come from to difficulty or challenge or fear or pain or whatever it may be is one of greater compassion and non-judgment and patience. Mm-hmm. And so sacred union, I mean, these, these are elements of sacred union. It's a, it's a lot deeper than that. I, mean, yeah. I think compassion and non-judgment is a big one, mm-hmm. a big one. That's massive because what ha- what's happening there is, I mean, I'll go so many places with this. What's happening when we meet each other with non-judgment and compassion is we're giving each other an opportunity to heal past wounds, to look at the differences that we both share and how we can either reconcile or be more compatible or look at each other and say, okay, what are we doing that could be more effective or efficient to benefit the relationship? Mm. I think Sacred Union as well realizes that the relationship itself is a priority. It's not only the two individuals. Mm -hmm. And so this third entity comes into play like one plus one equals not necessarily two, but one plus one equals one or one plus one equals three. Mm -hmm. And the third entity is that relationship. And that's powerful. And someone like David Data would say, the the, the relationship itself is adding value to your family, to your friends, to your communities, to the world. And sacred union for me is that level of interaction, that level of, of deep, intimate relating where the relationship itself is is actually adding value to all of those around you and that come into contact with you. Mm-hmm. And that, that has to be a deliberate conscious effort. Has to, there has to be awareness around that. So it doesn't just happen. Yeah. So that's a big part, big parts of sacred union for me. Mm-hmm. So did you have this throughout your life or was it 
there a turning point for you where you started to realize that having a sacred union and being more conscious in relationships was something that you wanted to step into? The latter. Yeah. Yeah. I was largely, I was conscious in some areas of my relationships, absolutely, but largely unconscious because I wasn't really connecting to the fullness of me. And because of that, I was always looking for something outside of myself. I thought I was missing something. I thought I was broken. I thought I needed fixing. And I felt that way because I was too scared and too fearful to look at, for lack of a better term, the shadow aspects of self. Mm. And because I didn't feel whole, I was always looking for something that was beyond me, that I couldn't fulfill. So in doing so, I caused a lot of pain to others and to myself as well because my come from was one of scarcity and desperation and deep fear as well mm. that I wasn't willing to face. Yeah. But that was still driving me, was still driving my actions and behaviours. And so, no, sacred union wasn't there for me. And because it wasn't there for me and I had the opportunity, I created the opportunity to look at my life and say, oh, this isn't really where I want to go. This isn't, this is what I'm creating is not what I want. And then I went into this notion of what is a deep, intimate, committed, connected relationship look like? It's just, there's some adjectives, connected, committed, intimate, deep, whatever. Uh, It was a lot more than that. But really, I had to go within myself. Mm -hmm. I had to go within me and ask, who was I? What did I want? Um, What did I want to give to the world? What could I give? What was I avoiding and hiding from? That was a big one for me. Mm -hmm. That really helped me when I went into that. What was the answer, the first answer that you realized you were hiding or you were scared to really admit or be seen for? The first was just me. I wore so many masks as a kid that uh, because of my environment, I grew up in a fairly volatile, aggressive, violent, emotionally abusive, physically abusive environment. And I wore many masks to protect myself. So I was lost. I didn't know who I really was. I mean, I appeared to have it all together because I was good at that. Yeah, we're all very good at that. (laughs) The chameleon, right? The chameleon archetype, very good at that. And so for me, it was just actually touching onto points that, wow, this is, this is who I am. I actually enjoy having fun. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was one aspect of self that I really hit. I, yes, I was fun-loving and I was playful and I would be amusing and I tell everyone how funny I am, but I was hiding so much of that. So it was only surface level. It was only surface. I wasn't going deeper into that. Aspects of me around giving and receiving love. I would give and receive love from a place of conditionality. So it would be conditional, mm-hmm. conditional love. And so when I broke that down and I just realized that oh, I can actually receive and be grateful and receive it because I was very difficult for me to receive yeah. any compliments, any love. Again, on the surface, yeah, I could, I could appear to accept it, but no. Mm-hmm it would not be penetrating me in any capacity. So that was something that I realized. And then giving love without conditions, giving love without expectations, without giving something, even my time, my energy, my wisdom, and then needing something in return. Mm. That was a big part because, again, I grew up in that, I witnessed that, and that was the norm for me. And because I hadn't addressed it, it became habit, it became my personality. Yeah, And I had to unwind a great deal. How did that type of love as you were growing up define you and the way you showed up in the world? Mm, I I showed up very disconnected. Mm -hmm. And so I would pretend to be someone. I would pretend to want to be in the relationship. I would pretend to want to be really present in the relationship, to to want to be in... In, in union and to want to be with that person. And of course, parts of me did, 
but other parts of me did not because of what I witnessed. Most of, and I was thinking about this the other day, actually. So my primary caregivers, my parents, was the primary example of union, of marriage, of two people coming together and being together. And that was very volatile. They were arguing all the time. They were physically, emotionally abusive with each other all the time. But I also witnessed that in 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 my peers growing up as well because I would have Italian, Croatian friends, um, some Portuguese friends, what I would call ethnic friends or European friends. In Australia, we call them, we're ethnic, so we're European. Yeah. And so they their parents had a very similar relationships I thought this must be the norm and so when I was in intimate relationship parts of me would want to be really open but way too scared I mean mm. obviously this was back then I didn't realize this pattern right was, right right I mean, this is in retrospect yeah. now hindsight and so parts of me would really want to be there because it was fun being in relationship it was sharing it was it was it was creating together but then the other parts of me would be so scared I had feelings of annihilation coming up literally because I would be unconsciously, implicitly understanding that if we go deeper, I'm going to experience what I witnessed when I was growing up. And I don't want that. That's hell. Yeah, That was hell. And so then what I would do is I would do things to self-sabotage, i.e. distract myself, not pay attention to the relationship, disregard them, disrespect them uh, verbally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. I would be unfaithful in those relationships because I'd be pursuing this, this, I wanted to try and fill this void of, I don't feel free, I need to feel free. I turned to alcoholism as a younger person. I stopped that quite quickly, though. Um, entrepreneurship, in other words, you know, workaholism. Yes. Um, and, and, and delving deep into training. And I and I sunk myself into physical movement and competing and so forth because I was just too tired to have to think about anything if I was yeah. working so hard. And also define myself. You know, look what I can do. This is what I can do. I can achieve this threshold of pain and I'm, you know, I'm one of the best in, in Australia or Western Australia or whatever it was, or whatever categories I was in. And so they were nice distractions mm-hmm. from the pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we all do that so often. We distract whatever it is and we find ways to numb. I mean, you look at social media, it's a perfect way to yeah. numb now. It's, it's the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. How did that impact your sexuality and, and just being intimate with someone and the way you showed up in that type of relationship? In various ways. So I was very overt with my sexuality when I wasn't in deep intimacy because that was very confronting for me. And so when I would communicate and connect with other men, I was seeing a similar pattern as well. But I disregarded it back then. I didn't think anything. Again, it's the norm. Yeah. Whatever. It's okay. And when I was either not in relationship or I was unfaithful in my actions, I was very, very loose with my sexual energy. And so for me, there's there's three core components to sacred sexualities. There's there's the art of sexual momentum or movement, so the act of sex. There's uh, where is our our, our, our sexual facade or our sexual face, in other words, are we very leaky with our sexual energy? Have we got mastery over the sexual self? And then there's life force energy as well. And that is not just sexuality. That is how we present in full to the world. Mm-hmm. And so for me, all those three areas were very distorted, very, very distorted. I mean, maybe the first one wasn't so much. More, more the second two that really drove how I behaved with women, how I behaved with myself. I mean, there was... 
excessive pornography and, and masturbation and it was all just distraction. It was all numbing. Mm-hmm. It's all it was. It was all numbing. Quick fixes. Quick fixes to take my mind off something that was percolating to the surface of my own consciousness, such as a, a deep fear from when I was of being abandoned or humiliated when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And so I justified the more women I could be with the more I could hide in, in, a, in a sea of just constantly doing and doing and doing. And it was short-term gratification as well. Right. And there were it was ego accolades with my peer groups and so forth. So it was ticking all these boxes. Mm-hmm. It was just a it was a it was a no-brainer at mm-hmm. that at that age and that time. Yeah. So at what point did you like what was the final catalyst for you to say, I can't keep living like this. I know there has to be something more for me out there. Yeah, so I've been thinking thinking of that for a long time, from my teens. And uh, a few years ago, when I was in a relationship, um, she discovered that I was being unfaithful. And that whole episode, to be able to, to watch and witness her pain and go through that was a, was a massive eye-opener for me. Mm-hmm. And it really allowed me to take seed of my life. And I, I gave myself two choices. I looked at my life and I said... I'm either going to continue the same path and continue to be in ignorance and really not be fulfilled and you know, write this off as a learning experience and, you know, it was part her fault, part my fault, whatever, you know, and just pretend that it, there wasn't something seriously that needed to be observed and looked at and changed within me or go really deep into the reasons for this. And I chose the latter and it's been a, a tremendous journey and 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 it's been, a, I mean, I spent I let go of all my businesses. I stopped working. I spent hours, anywhere from eight to fifteen hours every day in, in you know, quote unquote personal growth, whether it be uh, meditation, solitude, journaling, critical reflection. Uh, I, I had psychologists, I had spiritual counselors, I had spiritual healers. I was wow. spending time in nature. I was deliberately moving my body in a particular way to to get inside to shift the trauma. I went into trauma release work. I did so much for a long time, for years, essentially. But that that changed me at a cellular level in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And I'd have no regrets with that. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, looking at your life now, you, you did it right. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the hardest things is for us to be in solitude and in quiet. Even Connor and I were talking about, because we're going to Costa Rica for his retreat, and you know, you're in the medicine with ayahuasca, but you're not just with yourself. And we were talking about what it would be like to go on a, a week-long meditation mm. retreat where you're truly with yourself in quiet. And I was like, hell no, I don't want nothing to do with that. That sounds awful. But mm. it sounds like that's something you incorporated a lot into your life. What was it like for you to be in that quiet and what kind of impact did that make? Hmm. On a side note, I'm preparing for the next 12 months to go into a deeper rite of passage where I'll, I'll be alone somewhere, probably in the desert or the jungle and just wow. yeah, very little, just water and, and just do it. Oh my hmm. God. That's, that excites me and it makes me a bit nervous, but it excites me. Yeah. But back to your question. I want to speak from two places. One, I feel every human being needs to be in some form of solitude. Now, there's different expressions of that. It can literally be um, you know, driving 20 minutes to a forest near your house and just going for a walk for half an hour to an hour. Mm-hmm. That's that's being in solitude. It could be waking up in the morning and going into your study and sitting in stillness or for 20, 30 minutes, or it could even be putting on some music and dancing and moving the body in that way on your own. And so deliberate solitude, I think, is very important because it gives us perspective and contrast to the rest of our lives. We're so social in our lives today. We're we're very busy. 
and we again distracted that word busyness distraction it comes up a lot and it doesn't give us an opportunity to reflect on who we are for men in particular i think solitude is one of those practices that is necessary for men absolutely necessary for healthy masculine men because solitude stillness silence it is the domain and the realm of the masculine uh, and so for men specifically that are wanting to embody a deeper practice of masculinity, a more expansive practice of masculinity, because the masculine is associated with the infinite, with the expansive nature of reality, being in solitude helps us cultivate that. Mm-hmm. And it also gives us time to be with ourselves. See, for me, what happened was I, be, I purposely being in solitude, I had no choice. I, I practiced celibacy. I, I practiced being less with the feminine and more with masculine energy, with my own energy. I spent a lot of time on my own. And so, I mean, a lot is a relative term. I mean, I'm no, I wasn't a hermit that was 40 yeah. years in the mountains on my own. <laughs> it's a relative term. Um, but I spent enough time to, to cultivate a deeper sense of self. And what happened for me was all the different parts of self began to come to my awareness that I had that I had ignored and I hadn't seen before. And that was a shock and initially. But after a while, I realized, okay, so there's going to be more of me coming to the surface of my awareness that I'm not familiar with. And let me prepare for that. And this is actually a really good thing because what good meaning healthy, because what happened for me was I was becoming more whole. Mm. There's, a, there's a trick to that though. I wasn't becoming whole. I was always whole, but I was realizing my wholeness yeah. by embracing all these parts of me that I ignored. So part of it was the guilt and the shame and the remorse and, and shoving all that stuff down, the trauma that I experienced as a young child. And again, shoving all that down into the recesses of my psyche, and allowing that to come up. When I, when I was distracting myself, Know, with women, with friends, with work, with trade, whatever it was, I wasn't able to witness those parts of me. I wasn't able to be in contact and play with those parts of me. Being in solitude and stillness, because I coupled that with stillness as well, played a massive role in in, in revealing more of my own self. Mm. Have you had a hard time accepting who you are, these suppressed versions of yourself? that you hadn't played with and now they're coming to the surface and you're realizing, oh, that that really is me and I, I wasn't in touch with that part of myself and now I need to get to know that aspect of me. Has that been difficult at all? It, initially it was. Initially it was overwhelming mm-hmm. because I, I couldn't see a way out. Hence why I mentioned earlier, I had amazing people in my life. Although I spent a lot of time in solitude, I would also be sure to, to lean on these people when I could. In some of my very desperate times where I was suicidal because of the multiple ego deaths, the complete deep confusion and, and then spiritual awakening, awakening that I was going through, I didn't probably reach out to them enough in hindsight. But again, everything unraveled as, exactly as it needed to and it gave me more alone time and that, that reinforced certain aspects of my own resilience and, and understanding and... Uh, and accountability as well and responsibility to myself and ownership of who I was. But to go back to to that, it was difficult. It was really difficult and overwhelming and it took me to the edge many, many times, many, many times. Then after a while, it became easier. It became not seamless, but it became part of the journey. So, you know, that old adage, it's things happen for you, they don't happen to you. And if you take that that approach, then you can grow into that as opposed to what we resist persists as opposed to that type of attitude or that posturing. Mm. And so initially it was tough and 
as I stuck with it more and I was patient as best as I could be and there were days when I wasn't, but I kept coming back to it and looking at not I mean, looking at the benefit of those states or those those parts of me that came later was just acceptance and compassion. And again, compassion for self, acceptance of self, non-judgment towards self was very hard for me. My inner critic and my my inner self-talk was very harsh. Mm. And so I had to undo all that. And so coming face-to-face with these quote-unquote uglier versions of myself or aspects of myself allowed me to do that, which which also then allows me to be more compassionate in the world. Also. Yeah. And, I, and I really appreciate that. No, it's such yeah. a gift to have that. Yeah. Can you explain what you, how you would describe an ego death? Yeah, it's it's just it's the it's the complete deconstruction of what you thought to be true. Your belief systems, models of reality, the way you you do life, the way you love, give, receive love, the way you think about something, but it's a complete breakdown of belief systems. Because we attach ourselves to our belief systems. That's why people are so dogmatic. I mean, that's why we get so upset when we a religious argument as an example or a political argument. We're so entrenched in that idea of what we think is real and what we think is quote unquote right that we're attaching ourselves to that idea. So we are that idea, that idea is us. Mm-hmm. And so for me, an ego death is a complete deconstruction of that. It's a deconstruction of what's working in your life, what's not working in your life. It's a it's letting go of social groups potentially. It's coming, it's coming to terms with the fact that certain people in your life that you really cared for and do care for, you can't continue that same style of relating to them anymore. And that's very scary because then we're talking about primal, we're talking about primal activation of the neural system in our brains. And our brains are saying, hold on a second, if you let them go, you're in the out group because you were in the in group. And if you're in the out group, you're alone, you're isolated, you're rejected, you're abandoned. And that means death. Because the brain's not thinking about, oh, we're in 2019 and we're relatively safe and we live in, in you know, one of the best states in the world here, yep. or one of the best places in the world. The brain's thinking 200,000 years ago, we're out in the jungle or around the savannah on the plains of, of Africa or and there's danger, there's there's predators, there's mm-hmm. harsh conditions. It's That's how the brain is, is taking that on. And so that's a big part. And so part of the ego death as well is looking at and deconstructing the deconstructing the breakdown of our immediate primary peer groups as well, which is something that I went through too. Yeah. So I, I wanted you to explain that because I feel like that's what I've been going through the mm. last 18 months of my life oh. and it's been fucking painful. Oh, there it is. And you know. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. I have cried more in the last year yeah, and a half. Sucks. And felt more lost and confused and like questioning, like, who am I? What is it that I believe? How do I step into relationships? Why am I friends with these people? How do I respond in this situation? What am I meant to do? What's my purpose? Like questioning every aspect of life. And it's such a scary place to be, but Mm. it's also so exciting because there's so much possibility when you step into that and when Mm. you really take ownership of that. And it's almost just surrendering to the idea like, I don't know shit and that's Mm. okay. But then in reality, you really do know. Mm. And it's allowing for that. Did you feel that? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I'm going to be very honest. At the beginning, no fucking way. Yeah, at totally. The, at the beginning, was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not letting go of my friends. They have done nothing wrong to me. Yeah. But there was a value misalignment. And 
it, it just I knew it wasn't working. Mm. I knew it wasn't benefiting me moving forward. And I had to make some decisions. But at the beginning, I was very resistant and very reluctant. And mm. I did. I fought it very hard. Mm-hmm. And the harder I fought, the more pain I experienced. Mm. Now, I'm not necessarily – and then I needed to do that. I needed to go through that. I'm not necessarily saying – don't fight and just go with the flow because sometimes when we when we apply that 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 tension we we get feedback mm. and that feedback can be painful and it can be highly revealing and that was my experience and that's the experience that I see for most people that I work with and just when I observe I'm a keen observer of human nature and so when I'm observing the world I, I'm seeing that as well and so there's a dance there there's a dance but you know, I have this conversation often and, and Connor and I have spoken about this around around the pendulum swinging and extremes and how we learn by contrast. And sometimes I think where we are as a collective consciousness, as a collective humanity, I think the pendulum needs to swing in extreme ways. Yeah. It needs to it needs to go one way really hard and then come back the other way really hard to realize that, oh, there's another way. And that's we can call that the middle path, the middle ground, the the balance, the harmony, the homeostasis, whatever we want to call it. But um, for me, that's been my experience. I've, I've had to oscillate between extremes to find that, that middle part. And that's part of my personality. It's part of, but again, personality is malleable. I mean, personality is based on, on attitudes and, and, and belief systems and the way we see the world. And that can change. We can shift that. It's just, it takes effort. Yeah. You know, the other thing that came up the other day too was I was laughing and crying at the same time. I love that. And I was like, I'm such a black and white person. Gray area and me just really don't go well together. And so Connor was holding space like a champ for me. And and I was like, I can't tell if I'm sad or I'm happy. Like, I don't know. Half of me feels so happy and full of joy and everything is going so well. And then the other half of me is just devastated and so sad. And it, it's just, it feels like I'm mourning the death of so many different things. I like what emotion do I have? And and then I started laughing. He's like, nope, we're sad. You can't, you can't laugh now. And I was, it was so funny to think about this concept of having dual emotions and just being okay with that. Did you feel two different things at once and try and figure it out or allow it? Or how did you navigate that? Both and all yeah. of the above and navigate it again with complexity and difficulty at the yeah. beginning because it was so unknown. Yeah. Uh, I, I would go from very extreme states of being feeling in being a de- depressed state physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, relationally, everything, to then allowing myself to be deep in that and allowing myself to plummet into that and feel the fullness of that, to then realize that something shifted and changed within me at at a at a cellular level, mm-hmm. where I could then be immersed in some form of expressive joy and happiness and even just relief. Mm-hmm. And that was confusing because it was literally moment to moment at times. And I thought, I need to get my testosterone checked. Well, what's, what's fucking going on here? And so I did it. My testosterone was great. It was fucking through the roof. It was on the high end of average. And I'm like, fuck yeah. You're like, great, but I still don't have an yeah, answer. But I'm still crying every day. What does it mean? <laughs> and I know nothing. But it actually, and I did, I actually did that. And I, and I thought, oh, okay, so... This must be a, 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 an awakening of some form. In, in it's beyond, not beyond, but it's incorporating the physical body and the physical self. But it's something, just something else. There's something else here, and so that actually gave me an opportunity to go deeper into that pain. Mm. You know, I I I often say I I feel I've gone deep into my own suffering and collective suffering, so that others don't have to go as deep. Mm. 
and and I don't say that from a place of being a martyr or or a savior or any anything. I just feel that was my path. I just had I I had, I was presented with an opportunity, and I took that opportunity finally after many years of being presented with a few different opportunities and not taking them. Mm-hmm. And I just thought this is this is my path. This is what I need to do. And the contrast that I experienced was very revelatory for me deeply revelatory and I say to people often if you can go to the depths of hell and beyond and and ensure that you can you know you you can you can come back whether you know or don't but you can because I didn't know I was going to come back I thought I was I thought I was going to go uh, I was going to end up in a mental asylum Mm. if you know you can come back that's some serious power that you can cultivate in terms of awareness of self Mm. and where you can take yourself and where you can take others and how you show up to the world Mm. and that for me was the biggest game changer was my, my my yearning and my ability, even when I didn't want to, to just keep going deeper and keep ex- excavating and keep going deeper. Mm. That was it's funny you bring up going to an insane asylum because my next question was going to be, what did you do when you felt like you were crazy? Like I've had moments where I'm like, okay, I'm having an awakening, but I also feel like I'm losing my damn mind. This cannot be actually happening. Am I making this up? Is this real? I'm having moments where I feel like I'm leaving my body and going back to like my soul home. And I'm like, saying that out loud makes me feel like a nut job. How did you deal with that? I went deeper. Yeah. Yeah. I got crazier. What do you mean by that? When you say you went deeper? I'll give you an example. So last last year, this is just last year. So the examples I'm giving you are from years ago, five, yeah. six years yeah. ago, uh, and even beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, but just last year, I, I decided to embark on a journey with um, some psychosomatic and sexual somatic healers here in, in San Diego. And it was a two, three-month journey. And and Christine had done this work before with them. Mm-hmm. And then we did a session with them, and a little bit of a different session. Um, it was more orientated around pleasure as opposed to um, and union, union and pleasure and connect, connectedness and, and, and going deep into intimacy as opposed to extraction and um, releasing trauma from the body. And I'd spent time with them and I really, I, I just dug their vibe. They were just beautiful people. Jonathan Hiker Hudson. And they're going to San Francisco now. They're going to be there for oh, a number of yes. months. Oh, yeah. yes. Okay. Yes, I totally know who these people yeah. are. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So I thought, I said to Christine, I, I, I said to her one morning, I woke up and I said, you know, um, I think I'm going to do this work with her. Mm. And she never pushed it on me. She never even really suggested it. I mean, she just told me her experience. And then we had that session because she asked me, hey, would you want to do this session? They sort of, it's part of my thing and, and it's been months. And now that I have you, I'd love to do it with you. And so I said, sure, let's, I'm open to new things, definitely. And we did that. And that was quite opening for me as well. And there were, there were, that was revealing for me in terms of how I still relate to pleasure and being seen in that way. Again, old childhood stuff. And it got me thinking, maybe I'm not as advanced as I thought I was <laughs> You know, coming into intimate relationships, sacred union, um, it brings stuff up. Even yeah. it doesn't matter as, as advanced as you think you are. You know, I have a beautiful friend, Christine's friends are now my friends, and he was you know, sort of a monk. And it wasn't really a monk, but he was he was deep into spiritual practice. And he met his wife, and I mean, he he went literally three months after meeting his. They've been together for years now, but three months after meeting her, he went into therapy because there were parts of him that were coming out that you just you don't have when you're on your own. Yes. This is why that we need a balance of solitude and being in relationship, but spend time on your own because mm-hmm. it's so crucial. So back to this. So I went there and I, th- and I woke up and it was here and I said to Christine, I said, I'm ready for this. I think I think this is like one of the final major pieces of 
being that intuitively, I feel it's great. And she was so overwhelmed and she gifted me that whole experience. It was a beautiful mm. gift, such a beautiful gift. Yeah. But fuck, it was tumultuous. It was so turbulent. Like we went in and we didn't know what to expect because she had done it on her own. Mm-hmm. She wasn't with anyone when she did this work. And everyone's different too, but man, it brought out some stuff in me. And so I'm going to give you an example of the, yeah. the going deeper. And so one night I just couldn't sleep. And I woke up and I was just pacing up and down here. And she was downstairs sleeping. I was just pacing, pacing, talking to myself, looking in the mirror, thinking I'm a fucking demon. I felt like I was literally being possessed. And I just said, yeah, I'm going to go deeper into you. And I just fucking said, yes. And I just embraced the demon and I fucking went in. And I was looking out the window. I was going, I was literally going crazy. I was, I've never verbalized that to anyone except for to Christine. I was literally going crazy. That's what I felt like. And I would look out the windows and I would say, there you are. You. And I'd come out and I'd hide somewhere and I was going, I was losing my mind. I was losing my mind. I just went deeper. I had the parts of me that were still present, that were still sane, were saying, just go deeper. Just go deeper. Don't, don't, go, don't go half in, half out like you have all your life, Steph. Go fucking mm. deep. And so I went deep. Just kept going, kept going. Wow. I was just on the I was on the floor there behind me, just almost like in a just in a praying position, tears coming out of my eyes. And I'd broken through something, something had shifted. Mm. Then Christine came up and said, What is going on? And she was panicking because she saw me like that. And I assured her that I was okay. But if she'd come 10 minutes earlier, it would have been a different conversation. It would have been a different interaction. Holy shit. Yeah. So how did you what was it like when you came out of that? Free. Yeah. Freeing. Mm. Freeing. It was, it was a part of me that's, that that disliked freedom. And then, you know, again, then we'd go a few days later, it's back in, back right. in maybe something a bit different, but back in the back in the pit. That's what I, I was saying this the other day too. I'm like, I feel like I have been working through things and you work through hard things. And then all mm. of a sudden you think you've worked through something and then you get hit in the face with something mm. big again. And you're yep. like, when does this yeah. end? Yeah. And it's exhausting. Yep. And just as soon as you come out, you go back in. It's like sitting with medicine. Yep. As soon as you come out when you're on ayahuasca, you go right back in. It's like, ah, let's go. Mm. That's, so that's, that's interesting. So I have people ask me often, when does it end? And my re- immediate <laughs> response is when you stop asking. Because that was my experience. Yeah. When I stopped asking and I just said, Take me, I'm here. What, I, don't, I don't care if I end up in a mental asylum. I don't care if I commit suicide. I don't care if, if, I, if I get through this and become Jesus. I don't care if, <laughs> if I scrape. I don't, I don't care. about. I'm not, I'm not interested in the outcome. I'm just, I don't, I don't care when it ends. Mm. I'm here. It's okay. Whatever. Like I, I don't, if I never exercise again, if I don't eat for a few days, if whatever, I'm just, I, I started releasing my attachments to outcome. And the moment I did that, was the moment I started gaining deeper insight into the situation. Mm. But it, it, it's not, it's not a, it's like gratitude. So, you know, we can write down our gratitude and say, yeah, I'm grateful for the sun today. I'm grateful for drinking some water. Or we can really embody gratitude. Mm. So it's not, a, it's, it's, you, it has to be an embodiment. It took me a few, because I, I, I tried to cheat. I tried to say, yeah, 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 I'm, 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 I'm not attached to anything. I'm ready. I'm, I'm, let's go deeper. But I wasn't, I wasn't fully there. I hadn't reached my breaking point. And so when I did, and I, I lined up my breaking point with my despair and my willingness and my yearning to actually legitimately go deeper and release everything. That's when it's like. Hmm. How do you balance between having a human experience and the spiritual soul experience that you're going through? They're one and the same for me. Hmm. 
For me, spirituality is simply connectedness. Mm. For me, the definition of spirituality begins with connecting, connection. And then what you connect and how you connect is is your own disposition. And, of course, there's, a, there's an objectivity to that as well. Potentially that's a, another conversation, but and one that I'm unpacking at, at various levels within myself and within the, the, the human construct of reality. But for me, the human experience and the spiritual experience are one and the same. In this right now, I mean, we're, we're doing human things, right? We're having a conversation, we're sitting on chairs, we're, we've got digital technology, it's a human thing, but there's a spiritual interchange, we're connecting here. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you're washing the dishes, you're, you're, you're connecting with the water that's touching your hands and, and the, 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 the metaphor, the symbolism of, of, of cleaning something to make it shiny again. I mean, that's a deep spiritual practice. If we play, if we pay attention to that, I mean, I, I, yeah, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking to myself, mm, I think I should do more of that. You know, mm-hmm. I could do more of that. Pay, pay closer attention. Presence, presence is a beautiful thing. Presence is spirituality and it's human because we have an ability to be present because we have this prefrontal cortex that's this frontal lobe that occupies forty percent of our brains that dis- that distinguishes us between any other species or animal and so forth. So let's utilize it. Let's make it count. And one of our abilities is is this ability to be really present from a different place, not from a place of nervous system or a place of fear or a place of react reacting mm-hmm. or instinct, but from a place of I choose to be here. Mm. That's powerful. Mm. Can we go back to the, I can't remember what you called it, the the therapy you did with Christine, what's that called? Oh, um, the psychosomatic or sexual somatic therapy. Yeah. yeah. Can you explain what that experience is like and, and what goes into that? Yes and no. Yeah, I can. It's different for everyone. Yeah. Essentially what, what it is, is it's we store memory, we store trauma, pain, the way we relate to the world. We store it in our bodies at a physiological cellular level. Mm-hmm. And so much of that is implicit, meaning it's unconscious. And so what that type of therapy does is it allows you to reenact certain pain and trauma with physical touch and there's, there's, there's physical presence there as well and psychological context. So I'm trying to give you an example. Again, very different for everyone. Yeah. Um, and, and different somatic work works in different ways. And so they may be working on a particular spot here on around my chest and having a conversation about a particular experience or bringing up specific experiences from my childhood that were very painful. And then if there's more pain in a particular area, they'll have me talk to that or emote that or feeling, express that in feelings as they're moving energy through my physical body. Mm. And so what happens is that there's a connection made and then that, that, that thought, that trauma, that experience, that implicit memory is able to dissipate. And so you're, you're literally freeing your body and creating more space. Like I feel I have so much space in my body mm. like I've never had before. I have to continue. I, I don't have to, but I, I check in with myself and I ask myself, who, who am I? Because I don't feel that person that I was. Wow. I really don't. That's kind of where I am too is I feel like the old me is judging the new version of me and I yeah. don't recognize myself. Well, it, that's, that is happening. Yeah. I mean, the old, we were talking about ego deaths earlier. The ego doesn't want to relinquish what it knows. Mm-hmm. It thrives in the familiar. Mm-hmm. That's it. It works. It works for the ego because it's worked before and it's familiar. Mm-hmm. And so the old self does not want to give way to any new version of self coming through. Yeah. 
attitude, belief, persona, anything. It's even like last night, I haven't even said this to him, but we, I, I got upset because he was, he, he brought up something that bothered me. And mm. in my mind, I was like, does this actually bother me? Like, I don't really feel bothered, but I, my immediate reaction and response was from my, from the old version of me. And it was just, it just came out. But then as we talked about it, I was like, I don't think I actually feel that way anymore but I'm still stuck in that pattern. Mm. It was really weird and I haven't processed it yet, but I was like, oh, this is interesting. I don't think I actually feel that way anymore, but my, I don't know, my body or whatever, my ego has mm. this natural response that it's used to. And yeah. it's, it's about stopping that, I guess, or repatterning it. Yeah, both. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, it's not about even stopping, it's about letting it have a voice mm. and it's how you interact with it that makes the difference. Mm. Necessarily have to stop it from speaking because if you stop it from speaking, it's a form of repression. Right. right. And so again, all we're doing is denying and avoiding. But if you give it voice and you meet that voice with a different tone, mm. a different internal tone, that voice becomes confused. Mm. And then you can begin to have a dialogue. Then it's out in the open. We're making the unknown known. We're making the unconscious conscious. Then it becomes malleable. Then we can play with it. Yeah. I mean, and I get that you're processing it now. And, and if you're willing to, we can have the conversation on the details. For if sure. You want. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. please. Yeah. We- so I have I have a lot of insecurities around other girls. So mm. he'll bring up an ex, or he'll say, "I think this person is attractive," and it, it eats at me. Mm. And I think that I had had insecurities for so long around not feeling worthy or good enough or chosen. Chosen's a big thing for me, especially right now in my life. And so I, I mean, we've had so many conversations around this and we've been together for two months and it just keeps coming up. And I'm like, is that how I feel? I don't, I don't know that I have that feeling anymore. I need to feel that way. We're just having a conversation about experiences and those are things that come up. So that's kind of where I am. It's often said that if if you're asking if you're a narcissist, you're generally not a narcissist. Mm. And so what I say here to you, if you're asking if that's you, chances are potentially maybe it's not. Mm. And so that's the, that's where you now have a dance to yeah. actually break free from that mm-hmm. in a greater capacity. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful because you're open to the conversation. I mean, you're voicing it now for the first time well, because it was only last night yeah. and you haven't even had the deeper conversation. This is a beautiful un- un- unraveling, yeah. right? And so the fact that you're willing to have that conversation with yourself, mm-hmm. to be open to seeing that and looking at that and checking in with your body is, am I really feeling this? Because the old self, to me, intuitively, it's a testament to the work that you've done and that you're doing mm-hmm. on self-acceptance, self-love, self-worth, choosing yourself. Mm-hmm choosing yourself yeah. as opposed to relying on others to choose you, whether it be a friend, a mother, a, a colleague, a partner, you're choosing yourself and that's grounding you into deeper levels of self-worth. And the fact that you're having this conversation now, to me, indicates massively that you are at a stage where you're ready to let go of those old stories and make room for a new story around your own self-worth and your own you know, projections of self and the way you feel about you and the way you choose yourself in different scenarios and what you'll, what you'll accept and how you wish to be treated and how you'll allow others to treat you and how you're going to treat yourself as well. Mm. That's empowering. Yeah. I guess that's an interesting conversation too and something I'm processing. This is the most open relationship I've been in in terms of communication yeah. and vulnerability mm. and really just like laying everything out on the table mm. and being like, all right, let's talk about it. Here's yep. all my insecurities. Let's work Love through it. it. 
I don't really know how to phrase this question, but just navigating that and allowing that process to happen while being in relationship. And so stepping in without judgment and having compassion and going through our own experiences, but together at the same time. Welcome to sacred union. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, so it is. It's, yeah. it's a welcoming to sacred union, really, because yeah. you're not hiding. You're mm. not burrowing yourself away. You're not pretending. You know, it's not a... It's uh, it's not about the aesthetics or the superficial. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's yeah. it, that has a place. In fact, that's uh, that's necessary on many levels. Otherwise, it actually we, we can't connect deeper without the superficial. It's a it's a, it's a stepping stone. They're mm-hmm. stepping stones and stages. Not to anything better. It just says something else. Mm-hmm. And so, you welcome to sacred union. Mm-hmm. You're doing that. This is it. You, know, you asked the definition at the beginning. I mean, yeah. this this is it. What yeah. you just expressed then. I'm all out, I'm all in, I'm open, I'm truthful, I'm Mm -hmm. being me. And, yeah, it's at a risk of being rejected, humiliated, abandoned, let go, Mm -hmm. put down, but I'm here. How do you, when, if someone is having, if if someone is insecure, for example, last night, I'm insecure about this thing. It's not really his job Mm -hmm. to fix that for me, right? And I know you talk about this. Yeah. You know, as men, you want to fix and really not about that. Um, How do you express compassion in that situation, but also understanding, okay, that doesn't make her feel good. Do I not say that? Or is that her own thing to work through? Yeah. Um, It's a tough question. It's it's practice. Essentially getting to know the other person and getting to know yourself and getting to know the the different issues that can come up in relationship as well. And and the only way to do that is to expose yourself to truthful Mm -hmm. connection and communication and openness, right? For me, what I'm learning more and more, and because Christine's so patient with me and she's so compassionate and non-judgmental with me, is when she comes to me with a pain, I really know. And because I have a greater faith in my own ability and I'm knowing myself more and more every day and I have a greater faith and, and, and belief in who I am and how I show up, I don't have this, my self-worth is heightened more than it's ever been. I don't have this need to fix anything or come with a solution. And sometimes I do, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I'm trying to be solution-oriented because it's an old habit and sometimes it has a place. I mean, we, we need to sometimes fix things if they're broken. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time, it, the feminine does not want to be fixed. She doesn't want to be told because that infers that she's broken or something's wrong with her. She just needs to be held. And so what I say to men when I'm working with men, if they want to embody a healthy masculine posture, is breathe deep into your belly, into your perineum. Gaze, look at her in in her eyes with your own confidence and sense of self. Erect and lengthen your spine. It's in the physiology. Mm -hmm. And just pay attention and listen. Mm. If she asks for a response, give your response. If not, be strong, vertical, postured. Let her feel your breath. Let her know that as she's expressing, as she's feeling insecure, as as she's being whatever she's being, you can hold that. Now, there's some caveats to that. If she's attacking you physically or verbally, that's not acceptable. If your boundaries are being impeded upon, that's not acceptable. If it's going on and fucking on and on and on, and I do this, I do this as well. When, when I get into a particular state sometimes, if I, I go down, it's, the men get it, it's the prisoner of the mind. We, we, we shackle ourselves and we go into these deep stories. The Toltecs and the Aztecs tell us that our stories, our ego is what distances us, distances us from unity consciousness. Mm. I go into this sometimes for hours and hours. I'm telling myself stories and I'm isolating myself and isolating myself. So as 
postured, vertical, healthy men, we have to put a container around that as well, not only for ourselves, but for our women. And Christine does it with me as well. If I'm going into this place, she'll behave in a particular way that it almost severs me going there, Mm. whether it's her distancing herself from me or whether it's her continuing to be compassionate because that's what I need in that moment, whether it's her being um, present to my needs and but trying to fix something most of the time very, very, it's just, it's not often needed. Mm-hmm. Later, after the intensity of the expression has come through, we can problem solve, for lack of a better term, together. We can look at, okay, how can we be different? How can I help you? How, what do you need from me? What are your thoughts on that? But in the moment of intensity, of emotional volcano, whatever it may be, it doesn't mean it has to be volatile, but in that moment of deep, deep expression, all all the feminine needs is presence. Mm. That's it. I love that. You talk about this a lot and it's it's honoring the sacred feminine and it's showing up in your masculine for women and really allowing women to feel held. What are other examples of that aside from the masculine posturing that you talk about in terms of how um the masculine shows up for the feminine mm-hmm. or how men show up for women or both yeah both yeah leadership's a big one for me mm. and so i and and there's a lot of there's a great deal of responsibility and ownership that comes from it. And now so when i'm saying that it doesn't mean that women don't lead let's let, we'll just go back a, a couple of steps so the, the feminine and masculine expression or the the be and do energy or the go and flow energy as, as or the flow and go energy rather, as Michaela Bohm would say, who worked for 18, 17, 18 years with David Data, would say that, that that exists within every human being, every sentient being. We carry those energies. And so for, for me, I, what I teach men is leadership, a great deal around sovereign leadership, learning to lead themselves authentically and congruently in the world. In other words, be who they are saying they, they are going to be and, and do what they are saying they want to do in the world as well. And then take leadership around how they behave. I'll give you an example. And I'm not even going to you know, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you appreciate and really love when Connor comes home and he says, hey, this weekend we're doing this, tonight I'm taking you here, tomorrow we're doing that, your schedule's clear, right? And you go, yeah, yeah. And you say, oh, great, so I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Can you organise this and I'm going to take care of that? How do you feel when he would come home and say that? He doesn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Relax too much. It's a hypothetical, right? So let's, let's, let's just say you did go. Let's, okay, let me go simple. Let me we go should add simpler. him into this we'll, conversation. We'll, we'll, we'll after anyway. Yeah. <laughs> let's, go, let's go a little bit simpler, okay? So let's just say that um, he's organizing dinner this uh-huh. evening or he's, he's, he's picking the restaurant or whatever it may mm-hmm. be. Does that resonate with you? Yes, completely. Yeah. He did make me pizza the other night and it was there pretty romantic. Of course, of course <laughs> it is. But, but it's not the, it's, it's the intention behind the action yes, that's completely. romantic, right? And so that's a form of leadership. Now, mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that a woman is incapable of making dinner herself or making a fucking reservation to a restaurant. Not at all. What I see time and time again and this is a really complex conversation. I'd love to have this when we when we have our um our group our group conversation. Yeah, yeah. and we're always, we'll I'm not start gonna, with that. Yeah, I'm not going to go too deep into okay. this now. But what I see time and time again is when there is this organic 
uh, assuming of of role in in men and women. That again, that fluxes, right? But when that happens, it's this harmony that occurs in that masculine feminine dynamic, and this applies to um, homosexual relationships or any other. It doesn't have to be a heterosexual relationship. Mm-hmm. We're just talking about masculine feminine balances. Yes. And when we honour that, there's something really beautiful that happens. Mm-hmm. It really, really is. I mean, if for example. Christine drove the car all the time and I was in the passenger all the time. That would wear thin. Yeah. It would, it would wear thin. Mm-hmm. And I know it would wear thin. And so there's something to be said around masculine leadership, especially when it's, it's congruent and it's authentic and it's, it's not because it's, it's not a power struggle. It's not oppressive. It's not autocratic. It's not subjugating. We're talking about real leadership for the union of that um, all for the benefit of that union mm-hmm. and especially when it comes to self-governed leadership. So many men that I work with, are, uh, they're so passive within themselves. They're so, they feel so broken and they're so defeated for various reasons. Yeah. Again, another conversation, but for so many different reasons. Some are, are collective and societal, some are familial and some are individualised. They've just interpreted the world in a particular way and they've just broken themselves down. Mm-hmm. And they're so passive. And they're hyper-feminized in their expression in the world. And so they then attract, because we look, it's about just magnetic polarity. Mm-hmm. So then they're attracting hyper-masculine women. Mm-hmm. And they're together for a while and it works for a while because there's a balance there. But then in that, contra, in that contralateral polarity, it's not really balanced. After a while, it wears very thin. The man become, feels less than a man and the woman is tired of assuming that particular role, energetically, emotionally, relationally. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. Mm. And we don't see that. We think, oh, well, no, 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 everyone, we're all the same. We're, no, we're not the fucking same. Our brains are different, full stop. There's no, and there's nothing wrong with celebrating our differences and celebrating it. We are the same in many respects, of right. course. We all want intimacy. We all want care and love and affection. We all want to be seen. We all want to be known for who we are. We all want to be successful in our endeavors. We're the same in many respects. We're all about survivability and thriving. The same, and we're also uniquely different, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. We can celebrate that; it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But we're so caught up on, oh no, we have e- equality, 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 and it's not about equality; it's about equity. There's a difference, yes. and so when when we balance that within our relationship, something really beautiful happens in the relationship. I mean, with Christine and I, I uh, at the beginning we were both coming from our different wounding, and I would slipstream into sometimes hyper feminine states, or I'd be very codependent on her, or I'd feel I'd be coming from a place of desperation and scarcity, and then she would feel that, and then she would have to step up into this leadership role, or she would step up into this almost to meet my unhealthy self. She would have to step up into an unhealthy, powerful self as well, and then that was, and I'm like, hey. Yo, I'm, I'm fucking the man. Mm. I'm strong here. What are you doing? But I would even say to her, I can't believe I used to say, I'd say to her, stop being a man. That was the worst. And men, do not say that to your woman. I didn't mean it that she was being a man, but I would, I would be, I, I was feeling emasculated, not because she was emasculating me. I had to take responsibility for how I was behaving. And I couldn't see the wounding when I was writing it at that time. After, of course, we moved through things pretty quick though. Yeah. And that's great. Um, but, in the midst of it, it was just, it was a debacle. Mm. Painful. Damn, that's mm. so good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're going to have to have you back on the show by yourself, but <laughs> yeah. we have to let our partners come up here and join us because we're going to yeah, do a group chat. This is going to be super fun. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for all of this. Thank you are you. amazing. I absolutely love everything that you're about. I love... Thank you. 
everything you talk about on a daily basis and the way you show up and, and you're just so real and you're so honest and you can tell you just have such an amazing heart and I just appreciate you so much. I, the feeling's mutual and thank you for having me on your show. I'm very, very grateful to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me and Steph. As you can tell, he is a really special person. And I'm just so grateful that he took the time to talk about masculinity and sacred union and sexuality and everything in between. So don't forget to find Steph at reclaimyourkingdom.com or Stephanos Sifandos on Instagram. And Also, I reminded you earlier on, but stay tuned because in a few days, Connor Moore and I will be joining Steph and Christine for a couple's conversation on sacred partnership. And we'll talk about communication, respect, and connection in relationship. And it is a good one. All right, guys, we'll see you in a few days. Have a good one.